Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you this morning. Like Mandy said, uh, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time. I see some new faces in the house today. So great to have you here with us. And also welcome, as always, to those uh, of you who are joining us through our uh, live stream, whether you're watching us live or watching us later on demand. We're so happy to have you here uh, with us virtually this morning. Well, I have a lot to share this morning, so I want to get into the Word. Today I have the great privilege of beginning a brand new teaching series this morning that we're simply calling one anothering, which is uh, significant because it is the thick of summer, in case you haven't noticed, and it is our regular rhythm here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church to pause and to extend a good chunk of our summer teaching weeks to the subject of relationships. And so because of that, we're starting this brand new teaching series today called One Anothering. The phrase one another is said to occur at least a hundred times in the New Testament alone, and about 60 of those occurrences are said to be specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to those around us, how to relate to and how not to relate to one another. Among them, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live harmoniously with one another, build up one another, accept one another, admonish one another. I'd be here all day going through the lists of one another. And so I've listed those just to name a few, all to say that the scriptures show a high regard for not just how we engage God, but how we engage one another. To put it a different way, the Bible is full of wisdom and instruction on relationships. But why, you might ask? Why is because relationships are at the center of the greatest commandments. And the greatest commandments are great for a good reason, because they are vitally important and deeply connected to why we were created. In case you've forgotten the greatest commandment, we baked it into our slogan, it's on all of our merch, love God and love people. And so if you ever wonder why you're on this earth, if you're ever curious about why God put you here, of course there's a specific purpose, of course there's a specific plan, but if you just want a general overview of why you are on this planet, you are here for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. The greater glory of God and the well-being of other people, to put it simply, the way the scriptures help us frame it, you are here to love God and love people. The scriptures don't leave us hanging when it comes to how we should do this. And so in that spirit, this series is designed to deal with one of our most significant aspects of our lives, and that's our relationships, whether it's our friendships, whether it's our marriedness or our singleness, how we relate to our family, how we communicate, how we show up at work, and more. It's super, super important that we deal with relationships, and so we're kicking this off today. I want to begin this teaching series with a very important subject, one that I don't think that we talk about enough, and that is the subject of self-awareness. Turn to somebody next to you and say, self-awareness. When's the last time you heard a message on self-awareness? You say, preacher, I was today years old when I heard my first message on self-awareness. In a 2018 article in the Harvard Business Review, organizational psychologist Tasha Urich says that there are two kinds of self-awareness, at least two kinds. She says there's internal self-awareness. Uh, that's how we clearly we see our own values, our own passions, our own aspirations, how, see how we fit in our environment, our reactions, 
and our impact on our world. And then there's external self-awareness. That is the understanding of how other people view us, right? Internal self-awareness is how you view yourself, how you in touch with your own drives and passions and all these sorts of things. But the external self-awareness is a deep understanding of how you are being experienced by other people. How you're being experienced by other people. There's that external self-awareness. And what's really interesting is that Eurek says that you can be really high in one area and really low in the other. In fact, I don't know if you, how well you can see this chart, but they put this chart together. And they did some, some people are really high, that's really small. <laughs> some people are really high on internal self-awareness. That is, they know what drives them, they know what motivates them, they're really comfortable with themselves, but they're really, really low on seeing in any kind of humble curiosity about how others view them, right? And on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who are really low on internal self-awareness. They don't know who they are, but they are hypersensitive and hyper aware of how others are viewing them. But she says that the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle where you're super high on internal self-awareness. You know who you are, you know who God made you to be, but you're also humbly curious and always seeking to get a better handle on how you're being experienced, how you're being perceived by the world around you. There's a sweet spot and many of us missed it. And she said the best leaders, the best bosses are the kinds of people who see themselves in the same way that their employees see them. That is to say, there is no huge gap or huge variance between how they view themselves and how they're being experienced by others. They make the case that those are the people who show up best in the world. We're talking about self-awareness. Now you might be saying, that's really interesting preacher. That makes a whole lot of sense. But what on earth does that have to do with Christianity and the spiritual life? You might be saying, I can see how this might be beneficial when it comes to self-help or leadership, or organizational psychology, or even personal development, but why on earth would a church be talking about this on Sunday morning? Well, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. The truth is we're talking about this. We're opening our summer relationships series on this because I think it's going to be hard, and by hard I mean nearly impossible, to love people well if you don't know or if you don't care how you are being experienced by them. I'm going to say that again a little slower this time because that is the sermonic idea for today. I'm going to spend some time on this because it's going to be hard, nearly impossible to love people well, which is part of why we're here, if you don't know, and worse, if you don't care, how you're being experienced by them. Yurik says that most people report being self-aware. While only 10 to 15% of the people they studied meet the criteria. So just by a quick show of hands, who would say they're really self-aware? Just now you're self-conscious about it now, right? There's two people in here, and the studies show that some of y'all are lying. Or not very self-aware at all, right? Here's the truth. We all know somebody, and this might get a little tight this morning, we all know somebody who is significantly lacking in self-awareness. We all know somebody 
don't we? And if that person is sitting near you, just play it real cool as to not tip them off, but we all know somebody, don't we? In our families, we know somebody down at the job, we know somebody in this church, you know somebody at the school, you know somebody. Somehow they just don't get what other people seem to easily get. Somehow they just don't see about themselves what everyone else seems to see. They seem almost blissfully in the dark about all sorts of social and relational things and it is costly and taxing and fatiguing socially and relationally, is it not? Oftentimes without any malice or ill intent, it's the person who doesn't grasp the importance of personal space. And the person is just right, they're right here. And all you wanna say is my man, just five feet, please. <laughs> or maybe they don't know how, how loud they are. Or they, maybe they're unaware or indifferent to how much they are talking or how conversations is always dominated by them or turned back toward them. They can be unaware of time, particularly other people's time. They can be unsure as to when a good time to leave somebody's house. I told you, buckle in today. I mean, the host is giving all the signs. Everybody's leaving, the street lights are on, kids are in bed, they're yawning. I gotta, well, I gotta get up early in the morning. And they're like, I'm off tomorrow, so take your time. <laughs> they're just missing it, right? They can miss really important social cues. They can struggle to read the room and meet or match the energy of a conversation or a meeting. They can be mean or moody, inappropriately flirtatious, joking too much. They can be the Debbie Downers of the room or generally coming off in ways that are off-putting and harmful and, uh, and really landing hard on the people and rooms that they're in. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody like this? If you had to make a list, how many people in your life would make the list? Would your spouse <laughs> make the list? Your significant other, your friend, your roommate, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your boss, your coworkers, your employees, somebody here at church, who would make the list? And while you're making your list, please know that you are on somebody's <laughs> list. You are, whether you want to believe it or not, you are somebody's weird friend. They're talking about you right now. Somebody's trying to decide if they're going to that event by inquiring whether or not you will be there or not. We are all, for one reason or another, on somebody's list. Why? Because it can be hard to know how we're being experienced by others. And I heard a wise man say once that we don't get what we expect but we often get what we, what, inspect, what we check on, what we seek and search out. It can be hard to know how we're being experienced, and that's why we need to know, as Christians and relationships with others, people on mission, how to grow in self-awareness. And I'm simply calling this message this morning, Growing in Self-Awareness. 
And I want to look quickly at a passage of Scripture. I want to talk about why this is important and give some practical ways that we can grow in this important area. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Meet me there in your Bibles. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your row. Feel free to use those Bibles today. And if you don't have a Bible at home that you understand, feel free to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. Uh, you can also interact with the text through your mobile device. We'll also be pro- projecting it up on the screens. We were talking about growing in self-awareness. Excuse me. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And while you find that, let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come into your house. With all that's going on in the world, we thank you for a place of safety and refuge. And uh, a number of weeks of uh, just crazy gun violence around the country, we thank you for a place of safety. A season of numerous controversial Supreme Court decisions, we thank you that you are on the throne. Crazy weather, tumultuous election season ahead of us, Father. We focus our attention not on what's out there, what's going on around us, but we draw our attention in to you and your goodness, to you and your instruction, and to you and your word this morning. Teach us this morning, Lord. Move us in your direction. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you move the preacher out of the way so that your truth and heaven's light might shine through? And as one preacher said, Lord, if we've asked you for too little this morning, would you surprise us with your goodness and your faithfulness? In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 Romans chapter 12. I'm starting at verse 1, and I'm going to hop around a little bit for the sake of time. Verse 1, it says, and so, dear brothers, this is Paul speaking. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. I'm skipping down to verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord. So I really like this text. I know I say that a lot. But I really like this text. I think it is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. It's clear. It's helpful. And it has a wide application. And I think that Paul didn't necessarily have self-awareness on his mind when he sat down to pen this letter to the Romans, the church at Rome. But I do believe that we can leverage this text this morning for wisdom and for our purposes today. And I want to highlight at least two challenges that stand out in this text and give some practical ways to lean in on this immediately. The first challenge I see is that Paul challenges us to submit to God and to be transformed. Submit to God 
and to be transformed. And so often when we start talking about these important subjects, uh, we think it's important to start at square one, to start the most important thing, to give focus and attention to the primary thing. And Paul doesn't miss it here in chapter 12. He challenges us at the outset to give ourselves to God. Verse one, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He's saying, listen to me, please. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship. And so Paul is saying, submit yourself to God first. Before you any, do, do, try to do any godly stuff, it's going to be hard. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be clunky. You're going to fail unless you purpose in your heart that you are not your own and that you belong to God. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to uh, believers situated in Rome. These are Christians, followers of Jesus. And what he knows that even though he's aiming this at believers, that they're situated in a culture that teaches them to be their own boss. They're situated in a pagan culture, a godless, actually it wasn't a godless culture. They had many gods. <laughs> uh, you know, he's talking to a culture and we're no different we want to be our own boss, we want to make our own plate, but we want to have a little side of Jesus, a little side. And we start at the front of the buffet line that the world offers us, and there's all the snacks of life, and you get down to the end of the line, you, just, you never, Thanksgiving, you have this a little bit of space on your plate, you say, what can I put here in this little sliver? Oh, I know, I'll have a little side of Jesus. There's a little taste. And Paul knows that the Christian life doesn't come in that color. It doesn't work that way unless you realize that your life is not your own. But the Christian life only works when you completely limit your off, uh, 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 options, dump out your whole plate or get a new one, and plop Jesus down on there first. Submit yourself to God first. He continues, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. In other words, I want you to stand out. I want you to be peculiar. I want you to be different. And Paul is talking about that good old-fashioned Christian distinctiveness. Because if you give yourself to God, if you submit to God, if you're walking according to his way, you will stand out and you will be doing something different than what the world around you is doing. Among those things that the world loves to do is center themselves in their world. And some of us struggle with that, right? We're at the center of our own universe. Our culture, perhaps like the Roman culture, told you to live your best life. Live your own truth. What you decide is true is true. How you want to turn up? If you want to turn up, turn up. If you want to use your body that way, use your body that way. You want to spend your money that day, you do you. And this Christian life is completely upside down. It's completely different, isn't it? Give yourself to God. Seek the kingdom first and everything else will be added. It's totally upside down. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but be what? Transformed into a new person. And that work of transformation, which is a work of the Spirit, 
which we refer to often in Christendom as sanctification, that ongoing, lifelong process whereby which we are transformed, slowly transformed to look and act and think and therefore live more like Jesus, Paul says, give your body to God, work on your behaviors, and be transformed into a new person. But he doesn't stop there. He lets us know how. By changing the way we think. By changing the way we think. By letting God rewire your mind, the CPU of your body and your emotions and your soul. And effectively, this will change how you see the world and effectively changes how you show up in the world, how you see yourself, and also how others see and experience you. You see there's a chain reaction to this. Paul says, submit to God and be transformed. He continues in verse three with a second challenge, and that second challenge is this. Be honest in how you evaluate yourself. Be honest and how you evaluate yourself. Paul says, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Somebody else needs to hear that. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith God has given to each of us. I love how the Bible reference commentary unpacks verse three. He says, by nature, human beings inflate our perception of ourselves. We are ever at the center of our own mind's eye, always measuring everything we see and hear against the standard of our own perspective. I feel personally attacked. Paul writes that one of the ways our minds must be transformed, they continue, is in developing the ability to see ourselves accurately. We must develop sober judgment or an objective eye We need to be honest with ourselves about what we're good at and what we're not. And Paul does not say we must all learn to think ourselves as terrible and worthless. Instead, he wants us to step away from the funhouse mirror that causes us to see ourselves as big and powerful and important. It takes faith to see ourselves objectively in this way, as Paul writes. Why faith, they continue. He will go on to show that we must see ourselves truthfully so that we can trust God to do through us what he has gifted us for. In other words, God has work for each of us to spend our lives doing in service to his church, and an inflated view of ourselves will only get in the way of the truly powerful things God intends to do through us. Drawing into sharper focus the need, the importance, the necessity of having an honest evaluation. And this is really helpful, and this is really significant, because it's all tied to mission. Why we're here. It's rooted in an understanding that we are here for a purpose, Psalm 139. Listen, if you're here for no purpose, if God had no intended purpose for you, if nobody's checking for you like that, then you can do whatever you want. You can give your body and your mind and your soul to whomever and whatever you want if you're not created with a purpose, okay? Turns out that we are though. Turns out that God uh, made us with willful intention. The scripture says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't just roll the dice with our lives. I got a plan for you, Chris, and a plan for you, Keely. Plan for you, Renee. 
the willful intention, he designed you. With strategic coordination, he put you geographically where you are. And as such, we need to be who he's called us to be. We need to be what he had in mind for each of us when he made us. Because you have a purpose. Generally speaking, that purpose is for the greater glory of God and the well-being of others, to glorify God and to bless others. I want to drill down on this because it's really important. God placed us here strategically in the families to which we belong, in the churches to which we belong, in the neighborhoods and the cities to which we belong, in certain jobs and, and certain learning institutions. God has put us there because he has something for us to do, and it follows that it matters how we show up. It matters how we're being experienced by other people. This means that if you don't know or if you don't care how you're actually being experienced by other people, you will not be a person on mission. Say it again. If you don't know or if you don't care how you're being experienced by other people, as unspiritual as self-awareness might seem, you likely won't be on mission. And if you don't have an honest and accurate evaluation of yourself, you will not be on mission. You'll just be flopping around life, landing awkwardly on people, and many of us all the while thinking that we're killing it. You ever talk to somebody who thought they did well? And you were like... <laughs> and this is how a person with no self-awareness is there. They're, they're, they're oblivious to the fact that they are not killing it. Because they somehow, in some important realm of their life, lost touch with a healthy, accurate evaluation of who they are and how they're coming off. We just spent four weeks talking about evangelism and Christian witness. And how do you think a lack of self-awareness might impact your Christian witness and how people see and perceive Jesus and his church? How people might see and perceive the gospel message to not have a healthy evaluation of yourself is really dangerous. It's spiritually criminal. And the stakes are remarkably high. And if you haven't put this together yet, we need some help. You need help. Let me make it personal. I need help, right? And so where do we get help in this area? Two places come to mind where we should immediately seek help. The Holy Spirit and other people. <laughs> the Holy Spirit and other people. Let's start with the Spirit. Because growing in self-awareness, believe it or not, at least in part, is a work of the Spirit. To grow in self-awareness, to have a healthy, helpful evaluation of yourself is, in part at least, a work of the Holy Spirit. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says to his disciples, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. The disciples are just concerned that Jesus is going away. They're fretful, they're fearful. But Jesus says, but if I don't go away, the advocate or the spirit or the helper won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the, wor 
the world, excuse me, of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus continues in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Now, I love this text and texts like it because it gives us a window into the role and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I say this often here, I love that the Holy Spirit can sweep through a church service and get you all sweaty, right, and get you all worked up. I love that we can experience the weight of God's glory and the tangible manifest presence and power of the Spirit. I love that. But the Spirit has more work to do than getting you sweaty at church. And when we say, come Holy Spirit, those three words demonstrate a posture of invitation and deference, as our dear sister Andrea so eloquently taught us a few months ago. It says, God, I don't know all there is to know even about myself. Come Holy Spirit. It says, I can't see all the things that need to be seen. Help me, Holy Spirit. It says, I need wisdom and insight that I don't possess yet. Help me, Holy Ghost. This says there are things lurking in the shadows of my heart and my mind and my soul and my motives that I cannot see. Help me see them, Holy Spirit. That's what that posture means. Come, Holy Spirit, speaks in the spirit and manner of the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 and 24, search me, O God. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is the work of the Spirit. Show me my blind spots. Show me that which I'm missing and those things that I am selectively observant about. The indwelling Spirit always points to God and His character. So when we're showing up in a way that isn't becoming, when we're showing up in a way that is landing awkwardly, on the people we're supposed to love, when we're showing up in a way that is ruining our Christian witness and people's picture of Jesus and his church, we ask the indwelling spirit or point it out in the most constructive ways, point out my sin. And we got to get a different picture, a broader view, a deeper understanding of sin. Of course, it's the sneaky, dastardly things we do in the dark and behind closed doors, but just sin is just me being more important. Me thinking of myself too much. Me not knowing and not caring and not, be, and not even being curious about how I'm landing on the people around me. Point out to me my sin. Point out my pride and my posturing. Point out to me, Holy Spirit, my airs of self-importance. Point out to me, Lord, the ways that we're offending God and others. Point out the ways, dear Spirit, that we are ruining our Christian witness and make it harder for people to come toward you. Our job is to clear the barriers out. In our, and in our indifference to how we're showing up, we might be putting more barriers between people and the gospel. Who am I talking to today? And it is my experience is that if you ask and if you assume the right posture, the Spirit will help you. The Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will humble you. Humble you. And one of the vehicles and one of the tools that God loves to use to get us right 
you might have guessed it, the other humans, community. Look around you, our community, our village. Put it a different way, God loves to use certain humans in our lives to be human mirrors for us. Mirrors that reflect back to how you're really showing up in the world. Y'all look really good today. My suspicion is that you looked in maybe a couple of mirrors before you got here today. The mirror in the bathroom, got your face right, hair right, that long mirror behind the door, you gotta close the door to see the long one to get you straight. And if you really, like if you wanted to see the back, you had to, get, you had to line up two mirrors just right to see the back. And before you walked in, you might have did a quick, one of those quick ones in the rear view mirror just to make sure, you know, mirrors. God's greatest gift to us are the human mirrors. And who can give you the best report of how you're showing up other than the people who are on the, on the business end of you? Those who are experiencing you in real time, the folks who regularly experience the good and the bad and the ugly of who you are and how you're showing up. The other people were tasked to leverage those folks because we all need mirrors. Scripture's full of wisdom about this. Proverbs 27, 9, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. 27 verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 18, 28, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend stick what? Closer than a brother. And of course, my all-time favorite, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The other version says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And you might be thinking, wounds? Friends? Those two words are incompatible. But what the scriptures know is that the wounds of those friends are like the wounds of a good surgeon. They don't cut you. It's going to hurt. It's going to bleed. It's going to be unpleasant. But the intent is to heal. The intent is to make well, and some of you look a mess today, not naturally, but relationally, and socially, and spiritually, because you don't have any honest mirrors in your life. Now let that sit in the room for a minute. Some of you haven't just figured out how to attract those people or invite those people, while others of us have run them off. You've broken them. You've taught the people in your life that care about you that there is a penalty for telling you the truth. That you could tell me the truth, but if it's unflattering, there is going to be a price to pay. And what happens over time is that people just won't put up with that, especially if they don't have to. 
And some of us are here, we look a mess, we don't know how we're being experienced because all the people who would faithfully tell you have been run off. Or you haven't figured out that you have to give permissions, particularly in this culture, where everybody's fragile, where everybody's breakable, where everybody needs to be wrapped in bubble pack. In this culture, at church, and at work, and even in certain homes, if you don't give express permission, you will not have honest mirrors. Not the ones that intend you well. Not the ones that want to see you win. Not the ones that pray for your flourishing. You have plenty of truth tellers who want to cut you down, but I'm talking about the good ones that want to heal, that want to see you prosper, they're going to tell you about the spinach in your teeth or that skirt that's too tight or your breath that's a little musty. They're going to tell you because they love you. And they're invested in your flourishing. Do you have any mirrors? Because if you don't, it's going to be hard to evaluate yourself. It's going to be hard for you to see what you need to see, to know what you need to know, to grasp how you're being experienced by the world around you. Where are your, where are your mirrors? Some of you are like, dang, I don't have any mirrors. I need some mirrors. Well, I, stay tuned. We're not finished quite yet because I have a very practical exercise for us today. I want to load you up with some self-awareness questions, right? Because I think this is really, really important. Uh, during the pandemic, I was getting some coaching on just leadership and you know, growing in self-awareness. And the, the, my coach helped me come up with this exercise, helped me come up with five questions to send to like, people that like, know me best, people that I work with in various spheres of life, and so, of course, we pastored this church locally, uh, but my wife and I served the national, uh, our national movement, our denomination, and so sitting on boards, doing different things. And so all across the country, I, could, I, I thought of just about 68 people that I would send this email to as five really helpful questions that invite people to speak clearly and candidly without penalty about how I am showing up uh, in the little slice of the world that they act, occupy. I sent this to 64 people and 28 people responded to me with very detailed answers to these questions. And so that's a pretty good return. And so in the interest of giving permission, in order to get direct input from the people in your life, we put together a list of questions that we want you to ask the people in your life. You can email these questions to them, people in your family, friends, coworkers, people that spend a lot of time with you, people in this church. I'm just going to tick through the questions really quickly, and I'm going to share with you some of the answers that I got back from people in my life. The first question is this, what is a person most likely to experience when they encounter me? Now look, don't ask these questions if you don't want to know, because some of the people in here, if you send this to the right people, they've been waiting on you to ask them. They're like, let's go. I mean, some of these came back so fast, I'm like, these people are ready. Somebody said, 
Because these questions might sound negative or they might, right? But they are neutral. And so the answer can be positive or constructively negative, right? Somebody said, people are likely to experience a strong personality. So, okay, I guess that's good or maybe neutral or... Somebody said, a desire to quickly get to a place of action which can translate to impatience toward the other person. There's somebody on the staff. I said, my. Somebody said, a stubbornness that has a hard time budging if the other person cannot make themselves clear or well articulated in the moment. I had to sit down. <laughs> Non-verbally aggressive signals that indicate impatience with the process of listening and understanding. Help me, Holy Ghost. Now, some of them were positive, but most of them I go, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Question number two, what are the usual things you can count on from me? Again, this is neutral. The answer can be positive or constructively negative. Somebody said a clear response, the best intentions, a gentle effort to give support and help, but more words of critique and feedback than encouragement. I need to be present to that. Somebody else that I serve on a board with that I only see in a certain sphere said, if I were looking to broker a compromise, I wouldn't come to you. I assume you're not inclined to compromise. Now, if I told you some of the backstory about the rooms that we're sitting in and the things that I'm fighting for in this room, I could really bring you to my side of things. But that's not the goal of this. The point is, he is experiencing me as inflexible and unwilling to compromise. I don't believe that's who I am, but that's how I was showing up over and over in the rooms that we were in, you see? And so I need to be present to that. And so uh, I, I think I went ahead to the uh, third question. Third questions are what are the things that you can seldom count on for me? And that's when he told me that uh, uh, he wouldn't expect a compromise from me. Uh, he also, somebody else said, uh, I can't expect from you unguarded sharing, especially in a public room. He continues, I sometimes want to know what you share if you had a couple beers. <laughs> And basically what this person was saying is that he knows that, that I, I'm not giving unguarded sharing, that my thoughts and my words are processed and that I'm holding back sometimes what I really want to say and he wouldn't be wrong. And again, I could explain away why in those rooms that I only have a few bullets, <laughs> right? And so I'm not going to shoot them wildly. I'm going to be calculated. But he was experiencing me as holding back. You understand what I'm saying? And I needed to be present to that. Fourth question, and this is my favorite one. Is there something about me that you think I don't know yet? That is to say, if there's something about myself and how I'm coming off, how, how the rooms I'm in are experiencing me that you believe that I'm oblivious to, this could be good, this could be neutral, this could be constructively negative. And one person writes, this is one of my colleagues that I serve with, uh, he says, my experience says that people who are both intimidating and kind-hearted are sometimes surprised that they are intimidating. I think you're both intimidating 
and kind-hearted, so maybe you don't know that you're intimidating to some people. If you knew how hard I worked not to be some guy that's just stomping through life. And so I had to sit with this and go, oh, something about how I'm showing up is betraying my intent. Because when it comes to other people, your intent matters, but it's not the intent that matters most, it's your impact. And we like to judge ourselves based on what we intended, but what people rightfully judge us is how we actually impacted them. And what this person is saying is that though I know you're kind-hearted, you can be intimidating. And maybe some of that is a work for the other person to do, but maybe a little bit of that work is mine. You see what I'm saying? And the fifth and final question is based on your interactions with me, what is the thing or things you think matter to me most? And this, I mean, the, the answers were varying, but there was a lot of overlap. Can I tell you that I sat and poured over these as they did was come in. They would come in weeks, over the course of weeks, they would just come in. Of course, I would reply back and I had some follow-up questions. And do you know how blessed I feel that felt that these people would take the time to answer these questions in detail? And some of these were two and three volleys back and forth. The type of clarity that I got from that wide cross-section of people in my life is something that money can't pay for. And many of them didn't have to think. These people who are interact with me all the time, they were ready. And some people asked me for these questions and they did it in their own life. Some were grateful for the opportunity to speak into this and I imagine that the same is true in your life. But check this out, you said, man, is there a way that I can get a hold of these questions? I'm glad you asked, go ahead and put that next slide up. Check this out, if you go to that QR code, we have these listed out. And at the site, when you go to this, there's a link that if you click that link, it's already in an email. All you have to do is put the names in. Yeah, we were ready for you today. <laughs> these are gonna be posted on our social media page. They're, they're on, on the website, under the more tab. Guess what? If you're on our mailing list, check your email right now. <laughs> there's an email in your inbox. We want to make this easy for you to send out these self-awareness questions. Maybe you don't want to send them out to anybody. Maybe this is dinner conversation with your family. Maybe you're talking about this with your coworkers. But look, there's a chunk of this that's the work of the Spirit and worship team. Y'all can come back up. There's a chunk of this that's the work of the Spirit. Uh, but there's a big chunk of this that you won't come by by any other means. You can go put that QR code back up. Some people still needed it by any other means uh, other than asking trusted people. And for some of you, this might be the beginning uh, of uh, a new avenue or a new season in your relationships where you actually give people permission to say the hard things. And my guess is that a community like this where most of, a lot of us end up being in other people's villages, like be among their trusted friends, people they'll either lean on or will begin to lean on for truth. Can, can, can I challenge you to be constructive? Can I challenge you to be prayerful and to be thoughtful and to be spirit-led about what you say and how you say it? I mean, it's not easy to hear these things about ourselves. It won't be easy. And some people will see you wrong. 
they will have a skewed perspective of you, but you still need to wrestle with the fact that that's how you landed on them. That's how you're being perceived by them, and you'll have to take that to the Holy Spirit. But if you're among the people who will be giving these helpful critiques, would you be full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, thoughtful, prayerful about how you share and what you say? And my prayer is that God will just be all in this. I know we'll have plenty to talk about in our small group this, this Tuesday uh, because I believe God will use this to do some heavy lifting. Amen? So we're going to continue with the worship psalm. Let me pray for us. Why don't you stand with us if you can? Lord, I thank you for your spirit. Thank you also for the gift of one another. I thank you for how the Spirit will go before us this week and make the crooked places straight. Lord, I know that you will use this exercise to show us that which we need to see, to help us see and know that which we have been missing. We can't see ourselves without the picture that the Spirit paints. We can't see ourselves without the picture and the reflection from the people in our life. And so, Lord, would you help us, make us humble? What we lack, what we're not seeing, we will find in you and your people. So come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.